going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is the Going Deep podcast. I am Don Bennett, and I've got a couple really fascinating and important conversations coming up for you on this episode. We start with Gabby Tuft, who is a trans woman and former WWE superstar who has had the difficult and admirable task of coming out as transgender in the very male-dominated where do you want to draw the line? World, sporting space, culture, right now in terms of what she's doing, fitness field. Now, Gabby is a trendsetter and trailblazer because she's the first transgender woman to come out in the WWE universe. So she is literally someone making history every day. But WWE superstars are playing a bit of a role. They're playing a character. Essentially, their public persona is wearing a mask. It's cosplay, if you will. And I was so fascinated to learn, well, does that make it more difficult or somewhat easier to acknowledge and embrace who you truly are given the fact that the world knows you to be someone that, quite frankly, you're not anyways. Gabby Tuff joins us on Going Deep to talk about what transitioning has been like for her and how her relationship with the sporting world has changed since. Let's go deep. Gabby, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Making the trip. Talk to me about your upbringing when you were a kid did you ever envision you'd go on to do all the great things you've done i think every kid has visions about what they're going to do i wanted to be an astronaut and go to the moon (laughs) but as far as this path no idea whatsoever not even a glimmer how did the path take you to wwe that was a total right person right time right place i knew nothing about wrestling One of the biggest scouts for WWE just happened to be a friend of mine when we lived in Southern California. And he said, hey, I know you don't know anything about wrestling. Why don't you come up to my gym for uh, a tryout? There's some scouts here. And I said, okay, well, sure. So I walk in, and there's like 40 guys in their full, like, boots and underwear, everything. And they're in the ring. And I just look like, what did I get into? But they thought it was marketable. And so just not what you know. It's who you know. And the rest is history. During your experience uh, with the WWE, uh, what was the highs for you? The highs? I think it was just the fact that I had been brought up so quick from training, and I was put feet in the fire. And even though I was never a top guy, I felt like I did pretty good. I had a look, and I learned fast. Uh, Raw 1000 was amazing. That was the reuniting of Kane and Undertaker, the Brothers of Destruction. And I had watched Undertaker since I was like knee-high to a duck's tail. And he used to scare me when I was a kid. I'd cry. 
And there I am in the ring with like the two scariest guys and having the time of my life. So that was a huge high point. Uh, WrestleMania in uh, Arizona was another high point too. 83,000 people in the audience there. To be a WWE superstar, you have to play up a persona. Yes. But at the same time, you are you. How did you balance your personal identity with the role and the character? Hunter, Triple H, had always told us, he said, the best character, it's just you with the volume turned way up. So you practice it at home, you kind of figure it out. And there were some times when it, it crosses over into your everyday life and you realize, oh, I'm kind of in my gimmick right now and I need to dial it down about 10, 10 notches on the volume. So you play with that a little bit and you find your, your happy ground. And then suddenly you get into this groove where when the curtain opens, you just flip a switch and like that, you're who you're supposed to be on camera. Keywords you said there were happy ground. Yep. And who you're supposed to be. Right. Which is where you find yourself now. Very much. How did you get to that point? What was the journey like? It was interesting. I didn't expect it. I, I had some experiences when I was younger. Uh, I used to get dressed up in my mom's clothes and stuff until I was about 14 when nobody was around. It was like my deep, dark secret. I always had more girlfriends, more toys that were girls. I wanted a Cabbage Patch kid so bad and Barbies and stuff like that. But then society just goes, hey, you know, it's not okay to be feminine as a, as a boy. So I buried it for my entire life because I had no context for it. But about 36, it resurfaced. And to be honest, I, I don't know why it took so long to resurface or why it did, but it was just this gradual progression to who I am now that, from that point on. If that gradual progression didn't take as long mm -hmm. and happened while you were a WWE superstar, what do you imagine that would have been like? Would it have been possible? Oh, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. I, I don't think it would have been possible. I think because of the persona I had, I was the alpha male. I mean, it was huge. It was, you know, at that time I was about 260 pounds with dreadlocks, I had hairy chest, like you name it. I was the alpha male of alpha males. I don't think society would have been ready for that at that time because it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Most people think, oh, you take hormones and tomorrow you're the next, you're the opposite gender. For me, it's been a three and a half year journey and I'm nowhere near being finished or where I want to be. What have been the hardest parts of that journey? <sighs> Going from being a very good looking guy all my life to having the ugly duckling face. By far the hardest, uh, feeling like there's no end in sight. Wanting it to take 24 hours, but knowing it's gonna take a decade. So learning to love who I am on the inside while the outside slowly aligns with that. Would you say the process has been more difficult emotionally or physically? Oh God, I would say it's, it's equal. There's so much pain with the surgeries. I've had uh, two breast augmentations, facial surgery, neck and facelift, and vocal surgery in two and a half years. That's a lot of recovery. But emotionally, you hear people say things like brave and you know, all these things. I don't really look at it as brave in the sense of I'm a soldier on a battlefield, but to go against every rule you know as a man growing up, it shakes you at the core. It, it really does. And I think emotionally, it's by far the hardest thing I've ever had to encounter. 
It's one thing if you're a man working in fashion or even music, but you're someone who's in the industry of sport, right. wrestling specifically, mm -hmm. and then fitness. Yeah. All spaces where I'd imagine it would be even more challenging. How so? Well, my previous business was still fitness and nutrition. We still did online personal fitness and nutrition coaching. We had a lot of programs that you could purchase and do on your own. 92% male demographic. And all those guys, they looked at me. I was the poster boy for my company. And at that time, 280 pounds, 6% body fat year-round. Again, alpha male. I was their hero. I was everything they wanted to be, so they looked up to me. And then when they find out that their hero is transitioning to female, it shakes everybody. And so I actually lost that business because of it. It completely tanked. And I don't blame anybody for it, ever. I, I made this choice. It was my choice to medically transition. And so I don't expect men to want to follow a male that's transitioning. So it was very difficult to have to start from scratch and figure out who I am and then build an entire new business for myself and just get into that groove. You say you don't blame anybody, but your knowledge base is the same. Yes. Your experience is the same. Your passion for the subject matter is the same. Right. How did it make you feel that people didn't want to receive that gift from you just because of who you were? To be honest, I think most people would feel hurt and offended, but I try to take a more balanced approach to it and put myself in the shoes of all those guys that were looking up to me. And had I been in their shoes, and it's hard to understand the emotions I go through, and anybody in a transition goes through. And I don't expect anyone to change their mindset or what they believe in, and so I didn't expect my customers or followers to do that. It was my choice. And it was difficult, but I completely understood. You still are uh, a business, literally. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so when you now not only transition, but transition your business, what does that look like? What changes, if any, have you made? And what changes have you seen from your clientele? It's been a full 180. So still do online personal fitness and nutrition coaching. I have an app that I use now. I have a team underneath me where I've got PhDs that I've hired, master's degrees. I have the Department of Health, uh, of Public Health director from one of our states is on our team. I have coaches that work with NFL players. That's my team. So I built this very strong team and we work with 99% biological females. That's the flip. So I have these uh, born women that are inviting me in uh, Google Meets and Zoom calls to, to chat with them and help them with their lives. In the background, kids are waving, husbands are waving, hi, Gavi, you know, good to see you. So this full transition from working with males to working with all females and seeing them change their lives forever. It's amazing. There's an impact professionally. Mm -hmm. What's the impact personally? How did it impact your relationship? Well, my wife of, it was 21 years, July, this year. We separated in October 2021. Uh, she moved out, and we had some highs and some lows, but we're still best of friends. Uh, we still love each other. We're still tied at the soul, at the heart. We co-parent together. She lives five minutes away. And of course, when we started this journey, we both thought we could make it work. We can do this. It's about love, right? It's still about love, it's just not the fairy tale ending we thought it would be, but it's so much better than we ever imagined. Do you mourn that relationship, your previous 
um, experiences? Do you struggle with that at all? I don't. No, this feels like a complete rebirth. And I look at it this way. I feel as if I had a book that I was writing for my life, and I closed it. And I've opened, it's not even a new chapter. It's like I'm writing a whole new book. And as my former self as Gabe, I did amazing things as a man. I accomplished so much. And I helped so many people. That book's closed. And this is a brand new one. So there's no mourning. It's all happiness. It's all excitement and anticipation for what's to come. What is to come? What do you hope? you're able to do with your story and your opportunity? With my story, I've always been open and raw and real and transparent about everything that I do. And my hope is that the, the pain that I endured and the lack of information that I had by being open, other trans women, trans men, people in the community, people outside the community that have no idea, they'll be able to glean from it, feel some empathy if they want information, they can see the raw and real side of, of what goes on. And with the opportunities, uh, as far as helping other females and anybody else that needs help with fitness and nutrition, I want to take that and bring that to as many people worldwide as possible. What, what we do is so much different. We work on psychology and neuroscience, as well as the fitness and nutrition, but we take them through changing their behavioral patterns permanently. It's like we get stuck in these cycles. And with the women I work with, to see them be able to break those patterns and those cycles, they become better mothers, better wives, better spouses. They excel in their careers. And to watch that happen and to be able to have a small part in changing the world like that, that's where I want to go. You made history being the first uh, WWE superstar uh, to transition. Would you consider being the first WWE diva? Uh, that is transgender. I uh, I wouldn't say no to the opportunity. I have to look at it this way. Because I am the first male superstar that was on the roster to transition, anything I do from this point forward, if I go back and I get in the ring just and hold a microphone, that's history. Nobody's ever done that. If I were to wrestle a guy, that's history. Nobody's ever done that. Yes, you know, cis women have but not a male superstar that transitioned. If I wrestled a female and was in the Divas division, we're writing wrestling history at that point. And lastly, you're learning as you go through the process. Oh, yeah. What have you learned about transitioning, about being trans, about owning your space and your truth that you didn't know that you feel it's important for other people to understand? I believe a lot of people are curious about what's happening. Trans people are about 1% of the population, at least in the United States. And you don't see a lot of trans people in person. And so when you do, and people ask questions, I see a lot of uh, people in my community get very offended very quickly, and they're on the defense. But I believe that if we look at it a little differently, this is what I've learned, if we take a different stance and know that it's more curiosity, and we're not as easily offended, we can create education and help people to have some empathy and I think we'll create a bridge where there's a gap right now well I think you did that with this conversation so ah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm honored man I often start those conversations with let's listen to and learn from and that certainly is the case for our chat with Gabby 
so, so wise beyond her years in terms of the level of impact she can have for men and women alike and what the opportunity is for her in the fitness field given how misogynistic it has been historically. Really appreciate Gabby for taking the time. Now, if you want more information from Gabby, whether it is to shop her collection for one-on-one fitness coaching for her fitness eBooks, go online, GabbyAlonTuft.com. That's G-A-B-B-I-A-L-O-N-T-U-F-T.com. Or if you already are online, just go into our show notes, click the hyperlink. It is there in the bio and description. We'll take a break. More going deep after this. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Grandma and Granddad. This is the Going Deep podcast. And as we previously heard earlier in this episode, and really it seems like on every episode of this podcast, sports can be a great catalyst for change. It also can be a great platform to have conversations that are much greater than the X's and O's, the numbers in the final box score. A couple of Canadians are using sport to do just that. One of them, you know, from an entirely different context, and that is Noah Shabib, a.k.a. Ford or a.k.a. Drake's famous producer, but also, most importantly, the title that means a lot to him, is co-founder of the Justice Fund. Now, the Justice Fund was started by Noah, you know, after the racial reckoning of 2020 as a way for him to contribute and give back and touch into the philanthropic power of the creative industries. Now, certainly that's, you know, art and fashion and music, but it's also sport. And his goal with it is to focus on creating some economic empowerment opportunities for young black and indigenous youth and to strengthen Canada and in some cases Toronto's position as a global entertainment hub. And that's something that he's been able to do with a couple of collaborations. So the Justice Fund recently has collabed with Toronto Community Housing Corporation from a sporting context, the NBA Foundation, from a Canadian sporting context, the Scarborough Shooting Stars, and uh, locally here, the TTC, the Toronto Transit Commission. But Noah hasn't done this work alone. He's also done it alongside the CEO of the Justice Fund, Yonis Hassan. And I spoke to them both at the Justice Fund Summit earlier in the year about the importance of this work and how they can use sports as a catalyst for real conversation and thus hopefully real change. First up, we talk to Mr. Shabib and then we end the episode with Mr. Hassan. So we're at the Justice Summit, celebrating recognizing the Justice Fund. Why was the fund something that was important to start? I guess for me, like, you go on this journey of philanthropy and like how you can help or give back to community and so on. And ultimately what I learned 
you know, when I started my own foundation and Justice Fund sort of incubated and came through that, uh, what I found was there's already all the people here doing the work and people in community that have been doing the work for decades. And what we need to do or what I need to do is use my reach and pull to bring resources to community and make those connections that are already there. So that's sort of why Justice Fund is so important to me is because I learned that that was probably the most powerful way to make change. Using the power of sport as a tool mm -hmm. to make change, partnerships with the NBA Foundation, relationship with the shooting stars, tangibly, how does that help you achieve that goal? Because it, you know, culture drives the change. And like in my world, culture comes through music and sports. That's what kids aspire to. So those are the minds we're talking to and speaking to we want to engage with. So ultimately it's sporting events and NBA and shooting stars and where we can get in music and things I do in my music world where we can garner attention from youth and point them into right directions. So that's sort of why from a culture and branding position that's something that's so important for us. We are now at the 50th year of hip hop. Mm -hmm. It's had a huge impact on sport and the culture. For you, what has that impact been? <laughs> the impact of the 50, like the 50th year celebration or hip hop in its 50 years? It's just hip hop. It's everything, it's life, right? It's, again, the word culture. Hip hop is much more than music. It's a way of living, thinking, existing, challenging the status quo, standing up for yourself, fighting for your rights. Like hip hop to me is much, much greater than simply the music. So it's something I've engaged in the entirety of my life since I fell in love with it when I was 10 years old. What's it like for you with your status in hip hop to have people in the sports realm interested in you, a fan of you, willing to engage in philanthropy because of you? What's that like? Something I try not to focus on very much because that'll take me away from my job here, which is to try and keep doing good work. So, I mean, if that's, if that's a, a benefit or a, a reaction to the things that we're doing, incredible. And I'm grateful and thankful and humbled, you know, but it's not something I focus on very much. So I'm sure you focus on the future and where it can go. We see mm -hmm. where it is now. Where do you see the fun going 10, 15, 20 years from now? Well, for me, it's about inspiring people to think about philanthropy in a little bit of a different way. So if that's something we're able to do here by showing community and the world that there's a way to partner with these people who have access and power and bring that to community where we can actually have effective change, that to me is just a blueprint. That's just something we want to lay out. And if people see what we're doing and recreate it in other places and copy and paste it, around communities around the world, like, incredible. That would be the dream come true for what we're doing here. And lastly, uh, hip hop and the culture and the art form and all of its facets and its impact on things like sport. Where do you see that going in the next 15, 20 years? I think as we move forward, those things will become closer and closer together as they have over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And I mean, sport is art in a lot of ways, you know? Um, it's creative and it's problem solving in real time. And there's, you know, when it comes to hip hop, as I said, it's, it's cultural more than it is just a genre of music. 
And so when you bring that culture and that fight and that resilience to sport, like something incredible happens there. And maybe that's why it's such like a prominent thing in locker rooms, you know, and because it is challenging, it is standing up for something, it is saying something and making statements. So I think that parallel can further flourish, you know, for sport and for hip hop. And that's something really cool. Well, we know that hip hop has always been synonymous with community. Uh, thanks to people like you, hip hop is now becoming synonymous with philanthropy. Mm -hmm. So continued success and thank you for doing it. No, thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Justice Fund, it's here. Uh, we're celebrating it tonight. Let's go back to the beginning. Yep. Why did it start? Well, we started literally right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and for me, coming from the philanthropic sector, meeting 40, having the opportunity to craft something bold and innovative, it was very important for us to address the root causes of inequality in our communities. And for us, we believe that culture drives social change. So it's bringing together the creative community and bringing together uh, the philanthropic sector to create long-lasting change. And we've been pretty successful. You're looking to do that through relationship uh, with sport. Why do you think sport helps you achieve that goal? We're part, sport is part of the creative industries, right? Uh, industry in the province of Ontario that generates over $50 billion per year, 15 billion in the city of Toronto alone. The reality of the fact is not every youth that we meet is gonna be LeBron James but they're part of a sector, an ecosystem that generates billions of dollars in economic development that they can tap into. Not everybody can be a sports agent, but you can support on the lifestyle end, you can support on the marketing end, you can support on the uh, management side. Um, and as athletes, particularly in the sports sector, continue to gain more, uh, bigger and bigger salaries, they have the ability to create transformative change in their communities through intergenerational wealth. Partnership with the NBA Foundation and relationship with the Scarborough Shooting Stars, how does that tangibly help? So our partnership with the Scarborough Shooting Stars is comprehensive um, and that's because of the leadership of Nico, who's one of the co-founders of OVO, uh, Sam, who's one of the co-founders of the team, and uh, the only man with a billion dollar company in Scarborough, and um, you know through the leadership of Lowe, who's the general manager of the team. And their dedication and commitment to the city of Toronto, particularly Scarborough, um, is reflective in the work that we've been able to do. We've generated over hundreds of thousands of dollars of uh, philanthropic resources for frontline communities in Scarborough. Um, our partnership with the MBA Foundation is part of a comprehensive partnership with the province of Ontario and North Pine Foundation, uh, the Creative Pathways to Employment Program, to take youth in conflict with the law and put them in collaboration with hiring partners that reflect their interests um, and their communities to gain gainful skills uh, and social capital to grow their careers. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, the entire culture. It's had a long relationship with sport. How has hip-hop impacted sport? Oh, immensely, um, particularly in basketball, right? Uh, hip-hop culture is rooted in basketball. Uh, you look at AI, you look at LeBron, you look at all these other transformational athletes, um, and the fact that hip-hop is what they relate to the most. Um, it speaks their language, right? Uh, it reflects their communities. We're in the 50th year of hip-hop, and 
people fail to recognize the economic power, right? Um, a lot of these brands, a lot of these corporations benefit off the proximity to blackness, which is part of hip-hop culture. Lastly, this is where the summit is in 2023. This is where the Justice Fund is in 2023. Five, 10, 15 years down the line. What's the future? What, where do you hope to take it? My job is to work myself out of a job. If I'm here 5, 10, 15 years from now talking about the exact same issues, um, Canadian philanthropy that has over $120 billion of assets has fundamentally failed. All three levels of government have fundamentally failed. We need communities to be able to live in dignity and thrive um, and not in a perpetual cycle of poverty. Well, I'm excited that you're the person uh, working towards that goal. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. And once again, thank you to 40, the entire OVO crew, and everyone working so hard on the Justice Fund. Thank you as well to Gabby. If you enjoyed our conversation with her earlier, you can give her a follow. At Gabby Tuft is the handle on social. You can give me a follow as well. At Donovan Bennett is my handle on IG and X. I always have to remember it's no longer Twitter technically. It is X. And give show a follow as well. At SNS Ali is his handle on the app that we still use for news and information, but often we use just to argue with each other. That would be Elon's app, X. No argument here. This podcast is really done for you, the listener. So if there is something you want to hear about or someone you want to hear from, use our Twitter handles to let us know or... When you're reviewing, leave a comment. We will get to it. We will read it because we do appreciate your feedback. Thanks for listening.